Outlet pass the block. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Caught the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance three. Chance three. The Energizer. What a three from half court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go. And the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the aces the lead. The doctor is now in. In, in, in. And the aces win again. Glad to have you with us here on this Monday afternoon. Las Vegas Aces, the number one overall seed for the playoffs. Oh, yeah, they had to win four in a row to get it done, and they've done that. And we will recap yesterday's wild game and historic yesterday. In the sense, largest crowd at the Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, for an Aces game. 10,015. Aces clinch, number one seed. And the playoffs are here starting on Wednesday. We'll talk to Nikki Vargas today. You'll hear from her talking about her second year on the job as the Las Vegas Aces president and just talking about everything that's going on with this team on the floor, off the court, in the community. But yeah, joyous day yesterday at the Michelob Ultra Arena as the Aces defeat the Seattle Storm 109-100. We'll talk some Major League Baseball today. Chris Bazio will join us. Boz, the former pitching coach of the Cubs, Brewers, Rays, of course, has that World Series ring from 2016 with those Cubbies. And I always love having Boz on. And he is actually in the greater the great state of Wisconsin as we speak now. Uh, Brewers and Dodgers face it off for the next couple nights. Dodgers lose last night as uh, to Kansas City, snapping a 12-game win streak. So we'll talk to Boz about baseball, and of course the news that we that happened over the weekend: Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended for 80 games. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! The irresponsibility. And the maturity of this Ham and Hager. So we'll talk to Baza regarding that. $340 million contract. 23 years old. Nah. Not that important. Ringworm. Today we're going to find out about ringworm. (laughs) Ringworm. That's what he's blaming. Ringworm. And no one in the Padres organization is buying that. And I think we touched upon this. Last week uh, on Thursday, but uh, we'll we'll dive into that and get Boz's thoughts as well. So, also Raiders in action yesterday. Raiders get the victory exhibition style, the first home game of this preseason, and they defeat the Minnesota Vikings twenty six twenty. How about the Raiders that you love, like as a college basketball coach, or I used you know like doing this as as a high school basketball coach as well too. You want to schedule a couple patsies. To start the season. And you just want your guys to feel good about themselves. Especially when you're a new coach and you're taking over a program. And that's what Josh McDaniels is doing. How about this? You have yourself some good OTAs. Have yourself a good training camp. And then you open up against Jacksonville and Minnesota. 
probably two of the worst teams in the National Football League. And that's good. And even though no one is, concerns themselves about wins and losses during the preseason, it's nice to get a win because you're starting to build culture. And that's why we see some coaches, specifically in the NFL, with John Harbaugh, always wants to win games with Baltimore. Has done that ever since he got there. He wants to establish a winning culture. There are managers in the preseason, in, in spring training, that want to win as much as possible just to kind of create that mojo. Because if you, if you don't put pressure on people to win earlier on, it doesn't come as, as natural and easy, especially if you're getting guys from their transplanted or coming from other teams. And they might not be used to a certain culture. Every team has a different culture. And that culture is set by the head coach or in baseball, the manager. It's very, very important. So, But, yeah, a nice scheduling there for the Raiders to have the Jaguars and the Vikings in that. So we will uh, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about the Raiders preseason opener yesterday. The same day, same time, about uh, an hour and a half apart, the start of the Aces game yesterday at the Mandalay Bay, and then right across the street, across the freeway there on the 15, you had the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium starting. And uh, Mark Davis, where was he at? Of course, he was He was at the Michelob Ultra in Mandalay Bay. It's funny that a lot of people were asking him leading up to this game, like, where are you going to be? So I was talking to Mark yesterday, and we were laughing about this. And he goes, yeah, people don't understand. He goes, this isn't a hobby for me. <laughs> and I love that. And he goes, you know, as a fan, it'd be one thing. Goes, but this isn't a hobby. This is a business. He goes, of course I'm going to be here. But we know how much he loves the Raiders. But if you know Mark Davis, you know how much he loves the Aces, loves the WNBA. And you can even make the argument, and he won't admit it in, in public, probably likes Aces a little bit more because he knows how close they are to winning a championship when he took over this team as owner. And again, he didn't have to own this team. He did it because he wanted This was his passion. He loved women's sports, women's basketball, loved coming to the games, had an opportunity to purchase his team from the MGM, and he jumped all over it. And then when he jumped on it, he just he's not an absent owner. He comes in there and makes these tremendous hires, tremendous women hires. And again, started with Nikki Vargas and... That translates over to others. Becky Hammond, Natalie Williams, the general manager. The front office has grown. We're going to talk all about that with Nikki Vargas when you hear from her a little bit later on. How Mark Davis has empowered her and other powerful and famous and infamous women that he has. You know, Jennifer Azey, former Olympian, played in the WNBA as well, too. But uh, Becky Hammond definitely paying dividends for the Aces. All right, so we've got all that to, to touch on. Today, All right, but uh, last night, uh, rather yesterday afternoon, the Aces defeat the Seattle Storm 109-100. to They clinched the number one seed. The Aces finished the regular season with a 26-10 and record, and the record crowd yesterday of 10,015. We knew it was going to be big, and I think it just goes to show people that a team wins, people will come. And the Aces have always drawn good crowds. They've hit that 10,000 number, I believe, on three occasions since the inception of 2018. But when you have a high-profile franchise, high-profile players, high-profile 
owner. Yeah. And I'll say it again. For people that still don't follow this, I, I don't understand why. If you are in the archaic age of not understanding that women's basketball is just as important as men's basketball, and especially when you have a franchise here and you get a chance to go to these games, you get a chance to see these players, you get to see them in the community, and the Aces are in the community more than any other team that we have here. More than UNLV, more than the Vegas Golden Knights, more than the Raiders. They are, plain and simple. And that is leadership, but more importantly, it's the players because they've gotten players to buy into this, to realize when you signed Asia Wilson as the number one overall pick going back 2017-2018 and said, you're going to be the face of this franchise. And she goes, cool, I'll embrace it with open arms. And then you have people like Kelsey Plum, Kayla McBride when she was here. And when you do that, it just opens so many other doors. There are players like Jackie Young. They're now getting local endorsement deals <laughs> because their availability in the public, the way they come across on this show, other shows, in interviews, television, radio. And it, it's, it's about time, because we knew this day was going to happen, at least I knew this day was going to happen, that they were going to compete for a championship. When you have a culture like Bill Lambeer, and then now you get, you know, you started with the MGM, major corporation like that. Now Mark Davis, now Becky Hammond. Yeah. So if you haven't jumped on this train, jump on it. I don't know what you're afraid of. I mean, basketball is a pretty easy game to follow. And when you go to Nace's game, and we talk about this with Nikki and Becky, you come to a Aces game, you're hooked. Plain and simple. You have fun. It's entertainment. It is top-notch quality. The best women basketball players in the world are on display day in and day out. And it, what's really fun and cool is that you have a team that is the best in the WNBA. They may not win it all, but they have the number one seed for a reason. They're playing the best basketball than anybody, and they really have been for the past couple of years. And it's not that it's just the aces. I mean, you can make a case for if you watch the Chicago Sky who won it last year. You watch yesterday's game with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd, who, by the way, had a career high of 38 points yesterday. Um, these, these women are fantastic. There are eight Team USA, U.S. Olympians on the floor in yesterday's game. Very close to the same thing when Chicago was here last week as well, too. But yesterday, it was all about the aces. Chelsea Gray. A career high of 33 points for her. Nine assists. The magician. Phenomenal player. And as Asia likes to call her, or Becky, she's the head of the snake. And when the head of the snake is rolling, makes everybody else better. Uh, fantastic game by Chelsea Gray, who actually willed her team to victory. And the Aces needed that win yesterday. Because they were vying for a, a top seed. The number one seed. And if they would have lost that game yesterday, they would have fell number two to Chicago. You don't want the number two seed. You want the number one seed to have a home court advantage. And plus, it gives you advantageous matchups. Because you don't want to face the Connecticut Sun if you're the Aces. That is the one nemesis that you really don't match up that well with because of the size 
that Connecticut has, and you want to avoid them to the finals. So the way it works is, now of course the Aces are playing the eight seed, the Phoenix Mercury, who they've dominated this year. That's going to be your first playoff game coming up on Wednesday. Game two on Saturday. It's best two out of three in the first round. Different playoff format this year than years past. Top eight teams make it, regardless of conference. One versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. Coming into yesterday's game, the Seattle Storm was the fourth seed. They had it locked up. They really had nothing to play for. The Aces had plenty to play for, but Becky Hammond had talked about this, said it in the pregame show to me. He said, I'm fine with the number two seed. I just don't want to get anybody hurt, especially coming after the injury from Dierka Hamby. So there was that question mark, whether both teams would play their starters and for how long. But it was a wonderful game. They both did. Hence the score, the high-scoring game of 109-100 yesterday. And when it came crunch time, the Aces said, okay, we're here to win it and let's do it. And they did it. It was a game of runs yesterday. Aces led by as many as 11 points in the first quarter. Seattle came back and took a 10-point lead, 21-point swing in a matter of minutes. And we had a 51-50 game at halftime. That's what you had, and the Aces found themselves down. But the Aces took control in the fourth quarter, and they had some stellar play, especially from Kelsey Plum. And here comes Brianna Stewart, ripped away by Jackie. Jackie's got it. Aces got numbers, three on two to Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka-laka-laka, boom. 76-73, Aces come back. They were still down at that point in time. They were coming back, 76-73. And then here was the game changer, the game turner. And talk about an electric moment. I'm going to apologize in advance here. I don't need to apologize. What am I talking about? Chelsea Gray at the end of the third quarter. Defense. January still has it. Aces would love a stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. Unbelievable. Boom. Goes the dynamite here. Mark Davis on his feet. 8,000 plus on their feet. And the Aces have retaken the lead at the end of three. Oh, mercy. And yes, that's the beginning of where the voice started to go. But uh, And I shortchanged the Aces because I didn't get the official attendance until after that. About midway through the for, uh, fourth quarter, there was 10,015. So I said 8,000. So and it definitely sounded like 10,000 plus. But Chelsea Gray, the steal, and then the three-pointer at the horn at the end of the third quarter was phenomenal. And then the Aces just rolled from there in the fourth quarter, even though they had to withstand some Seattle Storm runs at that point in time. Uh, But the Aces found themselves uh, getting some clutch buckets, some clutch stops, a huge block by Kia Stokes when Brianna Stewart was going down to cut the lead to one, and Stokes blocked the shot. The next possession, Asia Wilson blocked Brianna Stewart's shot. That preserved the victory, and that gave the Aces the victory to close it out. Stewart has it. They need a three. They've hit threes all day. And there's picked off. The pass is picked off by Asia. We have a breakaway for KP. And this one is going to be over. Aces will have the number one seed in the 2022 WNBA postseason. Yeah, Aces got the job done. Uh, Crowd was just uh, amazing yesterday as well, too. And the Aces, 26 assists in the game. We mentioned Chelsea Gray's career high of 33 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. Asia Wilson, 25 points, 10 rebounds. Great double-double for Asia. 
Five assists from her. Kelsey Plum with 23. So, again, we saw the Aces have four players last week scoring over 20 points. They had three and one in Chelsea Gray, the point god, with 33 points. Raquana Williams off the bench, 11 points. She had 12 two nights earlier. And without Dierica Hamby playing because of her injury, uh, Raquana Williams stepping up big time, a former six-woman of the year. Think about that. It's crazy. The Aces have three former six-woman of the year. Raquana Williams did it back in 2013 when she was with the L.A. Sparks, her and Chelsea Gray were on that team uh, in those years in L.A. And then, of course, you had Dierica Hamby, Hamby do it two consecutive years in 2019 and 2020, and then Kelsey Plum last year. So the Aces finally getting some production off the bench. Seattle nearly set a record last night, too. Actually, they tied one. They made 17 three-pointers. And Jewel Lloyd, who we mentioned, at 38 points. She had a chance to break the record at the buzzer, but it rimmed out. But Seattle made 17 threes, tied to WNBA record. Four teams have that mark. Oh, one of those, the Las Vegas Aces, that they tied that uh, this year. So if Seattle wasn't making the threes, this game wouldn't have been as close as it was. But a fantastic effort by the Aces yesterday. We talk about the crowd, how electric they were yesterday. Stars were in the house, and we see this a lot during the course of the year. But as the games be, uh, get more and more important, more meaningful, you see a lot of stars. We've talked about it before where, you know, when Kobe Bryant was alive, he was here on a semi-regular basis. LeBron James has been here. Um, actors have been here. Tom Brady was here earlier this year. Uh, during the NBA Summer League, a lot of NBA players were here. You know who was there yesterday? Chris Paul was sitting there. Devin Booker, um, Kyle Lowry, just to name a few. And uh, and Darren Waller was there as well, too. Yeah, crowd was crowd was very, very excited uh, yesterday. But uh, Darren Waller. Now, wasn't something else going on across the freeway there? Oh, yeah, the Raiders were playing. And Darren Waller, who's been a great supporter of the Las Vegas Aces, he decided to show up yesterday and did not go to the Raiders' preseason game against the Vikings. So he felt he was probably going to get a little heat with this, but Darren Waller did have permission. And one of the first questions from uh, Josh McDaniels yesterday was asking about Darren Waller, why he wasn't in uniform or on the sidelines with the Raiders. I think he was there before our game started, which is, I understand that. You know, he wasn't going to play today, so uh, I don't want to make more of that than it was. Yeah, so um, a lot of people are going to make a big deal out of that. But, hey, to me, it just shows the support that Raider players are there, but Raider players are there. The owner and the all-pro tight end were there while their team was playing a preseason game. Pretty cool, if you ask me. I think so. All right. So uh, Josh McDaniels also started off his press conference talking about the Aces. I start by saying congratulations to Becky and the Aces. I heard we had a victor and uh, clinched the number one seed, so that's pretty cool. How about that for Josh McDaniel? He's new to this town, you know. Uh, I imagine Josh McDaniel is very familiar with the WNBA. Connecticut's son, not too far from the Patriots' uh, facilities there. So, uh, And that is that region's team. But, yeah, it, it, it's great to have that support between Raiders 
and aces. Always very, very, very cool. All right. Asia Wilson had something to say, too, last night after the game was over. Now, I'll back this up a little bit, too, that while I'm doing the post-game interview on the court after the game is over with the player of the game, which was Chelsea Gray yesterday, Chelsea got 33 points. Aces, what they normally do after the game is over, they, they go meet at half court. They chuck T-shirts into the crowd, doing all that stuff. Then I get the player of the game comes and joins me. So got Chelsea Gray yesterday. And then here comes Asia Wilson. Decides to take the water from my engineer and decide to spray it on myself and Chelsea Gray. Giving us the water bath there. And I had to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, of course, my engineer was saying, like, well, there goes my water. <laughs> there goes the notes. It's like everything's gone. Oh, the equipment? Is it okay? Equipment's okay. Asia just said, yeah. I said, Did, you haven't won a championship. Nothing yet. Remember, as Becky said, you haven't won nothing yet. All right? Just kind of fun, though. At least it was post-game, not pre-game, and all your notes would have just been wrecked. <laughs> yes. Everything. You just, yeah. It's true. It's true. But I don't actually rely on the notes too much. I do all of this prep work. For each game, kind of like I do with the show, like yeah. about three hours worth of work. But then once I once I get into it, you know, and again, it helps knowing the teams as well too. But yeah, you're right though. So it, did yeah. you know the milestone was coming up when when Sue hit it? No, no. was was not. And a lot of times we will get notes, notes like that from, yeah. from Jiggy or somebody. But no, we didn't we didn't get that yesterday. Yeah, I didn't know if you hit that or not. Yeah, no, but that, that was very cool. But but how about this? That, you know, what you've had with Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum, both over 700 points. That's milestone, too. So, yes, Asia Wilson yesterday, uh, after she decided to spray Chelsea and myself with water, was preaching to the choir about, and one of the questions, one of the final questions in the press conference was, what do you want to say to people here in Las Vegas that maybe still have not come out to a game yet? So maybe people that are listening to the show, again, you need to... Heed the words of the MVP, Asia Wilson. We need the city to come out, pack the house. Not everybody, the mayor, the governor, president, president, um, house members, representatives. I big ass signs when I'm driving on the house. Get y'all actually Everybody need to come out to the city because we're gonna be Everybody need to come out. I don't care if you want the street in your house. This is gonna be the per- perfect time to rob somebody's house because they gonna all be here. Police, raiders, knights, aviators, lights, raiderettes. Um, who else? Yeah, running rebels, ladies on the rebels. Um, Floyd, money team. Uh, Flavor Play, Pacquiao. Thank you guys. Bonner. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. See you guys on Wednesday. To this day, I don't know his name, but yeah, him. <laughs> you, uh, UFC fighters. Everybody need to be here for the sake of women's basketball. It's gonna be a great. Right. <laughs> God, I'm gonna have to tell Asia when it's here tomorrow that uh, Manny Pacquiao does not live here. <laughs> But she's saying that because she's been to Pacquiao fights there. And, you know, he's he's kind of like the hometown hero, even though he's from the Philippines. But, man, he's fought here so much. Shout out Mayweather. She's got a shout out to Pacquiao. So, totally unscripted, unrehearsed. But, yeah, it was Chelsea Gray and Asia Wilson, the post-game press conference, Chelsea talking. And then she just wanted to – then Asia just took that over. And Chelsea was trying to say, stop, cut her off. But a little fun. But the message is clear in what she's saying here. 
Come on out, everybody. And Mayweather's been there. We've mentioned the celebrities that have been there. Get out there. All right, so that takes us to the playoffs that begins on Wednesday night. First round, best two of three. That's how it goes this year. One versus eight against the Phoenix Mercury. Game two, Saturday, 6 p.m. Game three, if necessary, in Phoenix. A lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute. There's the deciding game. Why should it be at the lower seed? Especially a number eight seed. So the first two games are at home. Aces, top seed, host games one and two. If Aces win those two games, series over. There's no going to Phoenix. So Numchuck, I don't know what you're rooting for because if there's game three, then I'm out of here next Tuesday broadcasting game three in Phoenix. Now, as much as I like Phoenix, I know some people in Phoenix. You know a person in Phoenix. She's not from Phoenix. (laughs) She's just a fan of the Suns. I I think. No, okay. There you go. She's not going to hit me up for a ticket if we go back there, is she? No. Okay, that's good. No tickets for her. Anyway, so I'm hoping there is not a game three. But if there is, yeah. The eight, think about this. If Phoenix steals a game, or the Aces give away a game, and it's 1-1, game three would be in Phoenix at the eight seed. Now, I don't think Phoenix is going to win a game because they've been horrendous. Understand, Brittany Griner's situation, still detained in Russia. But Diana Taurasi's been injured. Skylar Diggins-Smith decided to quit a couple games ago this past week. She had missed some time for COVID early in the season. Then she came back and says, no, I'm taking time off, personal reasons. Is she going to come back? I have no idea. We've talked about the infighting on that team. We've seen it on the bench. It's a mess. I like Vanessa Nygaard, who was Bill Ambeer's assistant for years here in Las Vegas under the Aces, and she's the head coach there now. Yeah, Phoenix did not belong in the playoffs. I mean, any team that's below 500 probably doesn't belong in the playoffs. And, yeah, Aces should win this going away. Oh, by the way, a little revenge, too. Remember, as the Phoenix Mercury knocked out the Aces last year in the WNB semifinals. Dear Phoenix, yes, please win one game. <laughs> Just one. You Now, it's not because you want her to go to the game. It's because you want me out of here, right? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Because that would be Thursday and Friday you'd be gone. Yeah. No, the game's Tuesday. Oh, game's Tuesday. Yeah, I I would probably do the show on Monday. I don't want to break your heart, you know. So oh. Tuesday, maybe take off Wednesday. Who knows? I'd be fine with that. You'd too. be fine with that. <laughs> Might as well just take Tuesday to th- Tuesday to Friday. Boy, you know it's funny. Everyone else is saying you had a week off. You had a week more than a week off, and then you're taking Fridays off. What's going on here? And Numchuck's going, yeah, take more time off. I'm with you, Numchuck. Yeah, take a couple more days. I'm you with know. you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Don't you need to like go to Houston and well, you eat know some I'm, more food? You know I'm going to be going to Houston. I know you In are. October. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just slow your roll here. You better start lining up the replacements. Yeah. I already talked to TJ Reeves. There you go. I'm down. <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, that was a great mm. show. I appreciate TJ for filling in. All right, so playoffs begin on Wednesday. Get your tickets while they last. Access.com. They will be sold out. It's the best two out of three, game one, Wednesday night against Phoenix. And we're going to talk a little bit later on about Asia Wilson as well, too. Because there's this battle for the MVP. Her and Brianna Stewart yesterday on national television where they were going at it. Asia, like we mentioned, 25 points. So we've got some thoughts regarding that. All right. 
Also, again, we'll talk Raiders. You'll hear from Josh McDaniels. More sound from Josh McDaniels coming your way. But when we come back, we talk a little Major League Baseball. Chris Basio, the pitcher, the pitching coach, the dude, he joins us next. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. Dog days of summer, I guess some people might say right now, right? But if you're the Houston Astros, you're feeling good about yourself right now. Okay, New York Mets, feeling good about yourselves right now, right? The Mets, they're on fire. Dodgers, feeling good, huh? All right, we're going to talk playoffs. Major League Baseball announced today that uh, the postseason schedule has been announced and ready to go. It'll be the latest date ever for the World Series. We're going to bring in a guy who played into the 1st of November, actually coached into the 1st of November, going back about five, six years ago. And I thought it was like late. Numbchuck still remembers. I don't know what date that was. November 1st? I think it was. Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And the man who was there on that field in Cleveland celebrating the one and only Chris Bazio. What's going on, Boz? Not too much, buddy. And it was November 2nd. Yeah, there was November 2nd. And I think we did an anniversary when we had you on one time, too. I think it was the last year we did that. That's right. You remember it. Remember it well, right? Greatest Wednesday ever. <laughs> hey, how was the Thursday morning? That's what I want to know. Do you remember it? You know, I remember getting into Chicago and landing at O'Hare, and there must have been 100 fire trucks out there shooting water <laughs> over the top of the the plane as we moved in. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, and that that went all the way to the stadium till the sun came up. At Wrigley, and then we got we were getting ready for the parade of six and a half million people. Yeah, that water had to be kind of cold there, Boz. I mean, we're talking about you know November, November third. <laughs> I mean, fire trucks spraying that kind of water that sounds like kind of icy. Yeah, it was uh, it was something trying to stay dry, you know, especially with three hundred people on an airplane coming back from a World Series win, you know. <laughs> Describe, okay, we we saw the locker room scenes and all that stuff. So did the party continue after you guys left the clubhouse there in Cleveland, back to the hotel, or everyone go their own way? What was that like for you, man? Well, we were, you know, obviously in Cleveland, and the celebration was, started on the field and went into the clubhouse. And then they said, I remember BJ, a traveler's secretary, saying, okay, everybody, 245. You know, load up. Everybody get on the bus. We're going to make our way back to Chicago. That ended up being about 3.30. But it never ended. The bar was open on the flight. And then when we landed, all the bars around Wrigley Field, everything was open. And it just poured into the streets when we, when we got there. So it was, you it flew. Was incredible. You flew in the middle of the night. So you guys didn't spend the night there in Cleveland. It was no. it, yeah, clubhouse, just kind of like a regular, 
you know, road game like that where you're you're directly you've already checked out of the hotel and everything, and so the only place you could party was on the plane. That's it. And the bars. So we're talking about the Cubby Bear, Murphy's. All those places were open at three thirty in the morning. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, uh, there. It was wall to wall people down there. <laughs> oh, still, that's awesome. Wall to wall, because a lot of us were walking distance from the stadium. So when we got there. We tried to walk back to the park, but it was standing room only. So we had the, you know, the police actually gave us escorts back to our our places, right? To and from getting down there, then you'd have to call somebody to let them know, hey, uh, car's going to be by at ten o'clock in the morning tomorrow to get ready for the parade. <laughs> oh, ten o'clock. Okay. Next day, I mean, That's give crazy. us a give That's us a crazy. day. I mean, usually like with football teams and the Warriors, they had a couple days to recuperate. Your parade, so you're talking about the parade was on that Thursday. You it was a day and a half after. It was on Friday, wasn't one it? One day, correct? Yeah, it was on a Friday. Yeah, okay. That's that how sense. long we got, but it just kind of morphed into each other for the timing for us because it seemed like we went from the airport to the stadium. To our place, to the bus, to the parade, and then back to the stadium again, and then we had a big party afterwards. It just, everything just, and next thing you know, a week had gone by. We lost a week. (laughs) (laughs) So, Boss, what was your drink of choice during that celebration? Were you mixing and matching? What was your drink of choice? Um, I like Seagram's, but... Bud Light, Miller Light. Uh, we were doing a lot of different shots of a different variety. Whether the, yeah, the you know the, the the big thing in Chicago is the Jameson. Yeah. Um, Washington Apple shots. We got on a roll with Washington Apple shots. Um, you know, and back then it was it was everything. Besides, you know, besides you, who's the Who's the madman of that team when it came to partying? Uh, you know what? For the most part, that team was a bunch of professional partiers. So oh. John Lackey could get after it, but he was salty vet. I mean, these are these are old time beer drinkers. You know, boys from Texas. Hmm. You know, Lackey Lackey liked his beer. You know, and so did John Lester. He liked his beer. Uh, Arietta was more of a Scotch guy. You know. Former, more of a beer guy. <laughs> I mean, Ken, Ken Griffey Jr., his drink of choice, Drew Punch. Is that right? And licorice, yeah, and licorice, licorice whips. No alcohol. I man. never saw, never saw him drink. Wow. Never saw him drink. My ever. guy. I like that. There you go, Griff. He was, he was my he was my locker dog for four years in Seattle. I I was right next to him, and he loved the atom balls. And licorice sticks, and he loved fruit punch. <laughs> and he would travel with his gaming thing on the road and just play video games on every road trip with the clubhouse kids. Never went out. We'd golf in the morning. You know, we could always get up at the crack of dawn because we were always getting to, to sleep early because we all golfed. You know, if you're going to be at a 5.30 tea time, you know, that means you better get to bed by midnight at least. You know, 
You know, that's tough after a, a you know a baseball game that lasts three and a half hours trying to get to sleep by midnight. But if you want to golf, you're getting the, you're getting to sleep early. Yeah, see those baseball players, man. They're nocturnal. They're they're night guys. Yeah, you know I'm saying that's you're just, right. You're used to that. Seriously, I mean, it's like you get done. You know, playing a game at, at ten ten thirty. By the time you're done with you know media and all that other kind of stuff, it's eleven. It's you're ready to eat. You're ready to drink. You're you're not ready to go to bed yet. Yeah, I know people may not uh, understand that. So you know, back, final thing back to the, uh, the the party and the celebration. I knew where you lived in uh, great accommodations uh, where you lived, and but you, like you said, you were you were close by. A lot of those spots there in Chicago, you could walk to restaurants, walk to those 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 famous bars. Give me your spot. If you had to pick one there in Chicago that you kind of miss or you frequent quite a bit, if it was, like I said, Cubby Bear, Murphy's, or any of those other places, where was it for you? Where did you like hanging out? Probably Murphy's because, you know, we we got to know some really cool people in Chicago, and we'd always go upstairs and, um, you know, listen to different guys you know, playing the playing the guitar, especially you know, like Peter Gammons would come. You know, and our, you know, I mean, just anybody would would come up there and play the guitar, and it was just incredible to watch. It really was, you know, to to see these guys play the guitar and get away from their baseball side. It was phenomenal, and not everybody could get up there. Let's go and look at the Major League Baseball format here for this year. And it's obviously different this year with the 12 teams, six teams in each league making the playoffs. The one and two seeds of each league are going to get buys. And then three and six are going to play for the wild card rounds, meaning, you know, one division winner is going to have to play an extra series here. So it's all about, you know, having the best record here. No, no more one game wild cards. You know, no more, you know, playing games or like we saw Giants and Dodgers do. Uh, you know, we're, we're done with that. It's best of three, and all games are going to be at the higher seed, Boz. So there's no travel in this. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the ALDS. NLDS will start on October 11th, best of five. And then the NLCS, ALCS, the best of seven, will start on October 18th. World Series start date, October 28th. So the last possible day, if it goes seven games, will be November the 5th. Now, obviously, we've seen this you know, going back you know, the last few years. Go back to you know, that Cubs series that we talked about. That was the first time I remember it really going in to the month of November, but of course this is all predicated because we had to start the season a week later too because of the lockout. Uh, give me your thoughts when you hear about this format, the way MLB has laid it out for this year. Well, you, you nailed it. Because of the different format and the expanded format, bottom line, that's why we're playing you know, into that first week of November. When you have more normalcy in the schedule, I think they'll they'll push that back up ten days. They, they don't want to play it that deep because now if you are having to play it on an East Coast variety or a Midwest variety outdoors, the elements are going to come into play again. If we we're back in Cleveland in November, most certainly the elements will be back in play. And I remember when I pitched there in '95. I mean, it was 33 degrees. 
and that baseball felt like a cue ball, you know, and jumping in that, the literally the hot tub, trying to warm your body up before you went out there. It was, you know, it was cold, but everybody's got to play in it, and that's part of it. But I know Major League Baseball is trying to stay away from that, but there's no way around it this year. All right. The, the schedule is the schedule. So what do you think about six teams from each league making the playoffs and and going with this routine, you know, the two out of three, the changeup that we have now? I like it. I mean, if you're if you're going to do it, then get everybody an opportunity. And here, here's the deal, TC. You know, at the length of this season, there's going to be no flukes of teams that get in. You got to earn it because of the length of the of the season. So, whoever that sleeper team is going to be, it's not a fluke that they're in. They've they've earned it because of this. They they were able to you know, battle the longevity of the season and make a couple moves that, you know, really helped them along the way. And if you look at the teams that were on the, on the cusp, they all went out and made small pitching moves, which helps their fourth or fifth starter spots, which flips the schedule, you know, on their behalf. And we, we talked about this before that if you get, you could just go get a fifth starter guy that's, normally a two on another team, he's probably going to win 50%, maybe 60% of his starts. Well, now you go to a second division team that's on the border of making the playoffs and you bring those numbers into play. Now, all of a sudden, that team's got a better opportunity to win in not one spot, but two spots because you made these deals. The one team I'm really looking at is St. Louis. Right. Picking up... uh, Two lefties. Coincidentally, lefties are the thing that the Milwaukee Brewers struggle with, and now you're starting to see St. Louis separate themselves. I thought that was a very big move on their their behalf, picking up two veteran left-handed guys that you know they're not going to overpitch them because St. Louis has got a good bullpen. So there's some interesting things that went on that a lot of people weren't really talking about that already paying off for certain teams. A shout-out to uh, my guy, Las Vegas' very own Mike Maddox, pitching coach there with the Cardinals. And uh, I used to love it when you know I'd go back and see you guys play the Cubs against Dusty and Washington because uh, I had uh, two friends there on the pitching coach side right there. I, I had you and Mike, and uh, I always root for Mike, and he's still doing his thing uh, with the Cardinals. Mad Dog's awesome at what he does, and he's well-respected. You know, guys like that, I mean, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be in a position to get into the playoffs and to win a World Series, and Mad Dog's been right there like an out away. Yeah. You know, and he'll, he'll get his. You know, it might be this year. I, I really believe St. Louis is one of those teams that, similar to in Atlanta last year, that, you know, they get some of these young players going. Um, they're going to be right there. They're going to be playing the Dodgers when this thing's all said and done, you know, with a chance to move on to the second season. Chris Bozio joins us, talking a little Major League Baseball. Boz, what do you think about the Yankees? Losers, nine of the last 11, have not been good since the All-Star break. Is it, well, we know it's pitching. Uh, Clay Holmes has been a disaster. 
I never really didn't under, understand the Yankees' move here, making him a closer because he really wasn't a closer, wasn't that good of a, a, a pitcher or a closer with with Pittsburgh. Uh, Chapman, uh, your boy, just is not nearly the same. I want your take about the pitching staff because I think it starts there with the Yankees and their troubles. Rizzo, your boy, is over there. He's been injured. We're seeing Stanton injured. We're seeing a lot of injuries. Now LeMahieu's gone. Do you think age has something to do with this with the Yankees? And I know they're a, you know they're still double digit lead, but I don't know. I'm fearful this Yankee team is is, is not going to be there when it's all said and done. I I know it's going to be the Astros. Where did we just play the All Star game? L A. Okay. The, and I'm not making excuses for them, but being a West Coast guy, flip it to the East Coast. The Yankees, before the end of the season, I believe had their West Coast trip. They go home. Then they've got half their team making the All-Star team. They go out there. Then they go home. Then they got to go back out to play Seattle because the West Coast trip was split because of the All-Star break. I think the Yankees are fine. You are in that death part of the schedule that I've been in where it absolutely beats you up because of time zone change. Maybe a couple trades here. They got to get Stanton healthy again. Let them, let them get off this trip back home, you know, win a home series and they'll be right back to where they need to be. It's just a little blurp in the schedule. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And the team that's really making noise there in New York are the Mets. Been on fire. Have won 18 of the last 21. And I don't know if people in New York are saying, hey, this is the team. We're the team and not the Yankees. But give me some thoughts uh, on the Mets and where does it start with them? Is it the hitting or is it the pitching acquisitions? It's everything. They've, they've nailed it. They've absolutely nailed it, you know, being able to pick up some some no name pitchers that are having great years, um, geez, I can't, I can't see. I'm forgetting the kid's name. The kid they picked up from Oakland, who's an all star in Oakland, he's throwing the ball great, but he's only at about a 500 record. And Ron Darling says his kid probably could have won 15 or 16 games by now. Who, what's the guy's name? TC six five righty, used to be with Oakland and got traded to the to the Mets. Um, well, I, I know Montas went to the Yankees from from No, from, not no, him. I, um, I know I know obviously not him. Um why I know who you're talking about. I'm I'll get it here in a minute. Um yeah, just anyway, continue on. I'll, up, I'll nail it. I'll nail it here in a minute. It's coming picking, up. Picking these guys up and we talked about it the last time and and not having DeGrom or Scherzer pitching for him. I mean, it's amazing. Oh, Bassett. You're talking about that, Chris Bassett. Yeah. I'm sorry. Bassett. Chris yeah, Bassett. The right-hander, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's had an unbelievable year. And then they go out, you know, at the trade deadline and pick up a guy that they stick in left field who's done a, a great job, who used to be with Cincinnati, another no-name outfielder who's hit 320 since he's been there. Um, they've, they've nailed every trade. The one thing that they haven't had really is a position player get hurt, knock on wood. I don't want to see it happen. But they're pitching, for the most part, uh, they've had a couple guys 
get hurt, but the inventory that they stocked up was wise. And um, they've been fun to watch. I mean, you know, the Mets in the past, I really didn't like watching them now. Um, you know, watching Tyler Naquin out there in left field, you know, it's, they pushed all the right buttons. And they're they're a fun team to watch, and they're going to be they're going to be tough to beat. They really are. I mean, their first baseman's got darn near a hundred RBIs already. That's crazy, mm-hmm. including the shortstop. Who I don't know about you, but I really thought the guy was lost after a couple really bad years in New York, and now he's got ninety RBIs. Mm-hmm. It really does seem that. Things are top-heavy right now in the AL. It's the Astros. It's the Yankees. And then you go to the National League, it's the Dodgers and the Mets. And I know you're saying dark horse with St. Louis. You haven't mentioned Milwaukee or whatever. But is it kind of cut and dry, don't you think, Boz? It really is. I mean, we, we talked about it. You know, coming out of spring training, the players are the players. And some of the teams that were making noise at the end of last year are right there again, the Seattles of the world, the Mets of the world, the Phillies of the world. You know, it's all the same teams, and they're going to be there now because of that expanded format, which is is great because all, all it takes is one dude to throw a game against Scherzer, the game of his life. Now you got everybody's attention, and everybody starts to panic. I don't know who that dude's going to be, but who's going to be that guy this year? Someone's someone's going to step up, and there's going to be some absolute jaw droppers. It's it's just gone too smooth for some of the powerhouse clubs. One of these second division clubs is going to get a pitching performance of their life, and they're going to put themselves in position for a great story. Final thing, Boz, real quick. You're the pitching guy. Give me the Cy Young Award winner for both the American League and the National League. Who you like? Well, Verlander, 100%. Guy's just unbelievable and been consistent. Um, you know... And, and should, should the record factor say, in here as well, too? Man, I mean, you know, I mean, Dylan Cease has had an unbelievable stat year as far as quality starts. 16, I think, quality starts in a row. Yeah. You know, but Verlander, same thing. But um, you know, I don't know. I would probably go with uh, Scherzer. Everything he's done, he's just he's, he's throwing the ball too good again. Yeah. How you cool? Know? How cool I mean, would that be? Mad Max and Justin Verlander. Talk about old school throwbacks. Guys in there, you know, mid to late thirties, still doing it. You gotta love that. I do love it. Yeah. I do love it because these guys know how to pitch and they've they've adapted to times. All right. There's a little trip down memory lane with Boz. And uh, I know we'll do this come November 2nd, you know, again, taking us back to 2016. I appreciate uh, the memories. Good stuff there, Boz. And good looking out. We'll continue talking with you. A little MLB as we get ready for the, the stretch run. I'm looking forward to this postseason big time. So we'll keep an eye on it, brother. All right, man. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Do your thing there in uh, in, a, in Whiskeyville, man. And uh, <laughs> there you go, bro. There you go. Go go get the four o'clock buffet. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> See you later. All right, bud. Appreciate you. Chris Bosio, hanging out there in Wisconsin. Drink a little. Take care of a little business. I'm not saying he's drinking. He might be. Who knows? We're playing Go Cubs Go. Yeah, they're going going all right. They're gone. They're way gone. That's okay, though. Hey, they won the Field of Dreams game, right? <laughs> beat, beat that high-powered Reds team. We come back. We'll talk Raiders. Talk about their exhibition opener from yesterday. And then the Aces president, Nikki Vargas, joins us. Baseball time is here again. You can catch it all on WGN. Smith will keep it. He dies for the end zone. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs Kingdom history. It's time. In the entertainment capital of the world. Car out of the shotgun. Looks left. Throws a lob for Michael Crabtree. Caught it. He caught it. He caught it. The Raiders have the lead. 35-34. <laughs> it's the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you back with us here on this Monday hour number two. I want to thank Chris Bosio joined us last hour talking about Major League Baseball. Yankees, Mets going in opposite directions. Oh yeah. And uh reminiscing. About that Cubs team in 2016, which Numchuck just loves to hear about. But where else can you get that Numchuck? We're, God, I love we're, not, we're not sitting there talking about Chris Bryant, you know, throwing to Rizzo for the final out. No, we're talking about parties. Yes. We're talking about who are the party animals on that team. We're talking about the drink of choice. The places of a choice. And you know Chicago as well as yes. I do. I mean, you, you know it even better because you're from there. But oh. when, when Boz is talking about some of those places back there, you, you're lighting up like a Christmas tree. I am. I miss. That's- so wait a minute. You were at the the Bulls championship parades. Yes. Cubs championship parade? I was not at the – that's so – I moved here in 2011. You moved to Vegas in 2011. I moved to Vegas in 2011. Oh, so you missed So it. I missed out. That was the – I've never been back. Not even to visit? Not even to visit. That was the one time I almost got the next flight out to go right. to go party at Wrigley. Yeah. Because there's no other time. And so you that really had to be hurting you because you waited all those years, like those diehard Cubs faithful. Yeah. And having your heart torn out in the eighties and in the nineties and all that stuff, even though you're not that old. Uh but you knew the stories. If I'm in your shoes, I would have done whatever I could to get back there, man. Either for a game or even not to get a ticket to the game, but just to be hanging out at Murphy's or the Cubby Bear or any of those spots. I don't know if I could go back now because of the whole, I don't even know what they call that now. Wrigleyville? The, 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 no, the little plaza that's right next to where the players used to park. Oh, because oh, it's no more? That little spot there no that whole 
area now is like a field and right that's what i'm saying like it's, it's all bi- like bars and yeah. there's a sporting bar yeah. and like the yeah. cubby shop yeah you know kids playground could, area and all i don't that know kind if of i could do that that's yeah. yeah see i know what you're saying because remember when i left green bay in 2015 i didn't go back until this spring and again i went back for a funeral and it was almost, I don't want to say unrecognizable, because it was recognizable by Lambeau Field, but the additions that they made to Lambeau, crazy. There's a ski slope there now, a man-made you know, ski slope, a lodge, restaurants, hotels all around Lambeau, and that's exactly what they did to Wrigley. And that's why I loved both those franchises growing up, because they're iconic, because... It was so much history there, and it was old school. I mean, I still remember driving and parking my car, you know, next to the hot dog joint. Yeah. You know, right there at Wrigley, you know, next to where the players park. And you could only get, like, maybe 16 cars in there. And they would sandwich those cars, and you could barely get out of your car paying 40 bucks. Now it's so, even more. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally different. That's... My son, I'm looking at a picture. Ted Billy, okay, back in the day, okay, that's like that was his first ever Cubs game, and he is we've we've gone to six. He is six and zero. Oh. He is six and zero oh wow. going to a game. Wow, so you got to take insane. him. You, so postseason, if, if, if it ever happens, again. if it ever happens again, <laughs> I'm going six. Yeah, he'll be seven and zero. Oh. Yeah, he'll take him. Exactly. Wow, interesting stuff there. All right. Raiders. They had a game two yesterday. And, yeah, it was the second-tier game next to the Aces yesterday. And no disrespect to the Raiders, but it was a preseason game. And did we have the attendance on the on the Raiders game yesterday? And if they publicize that, I'm just curious what they announced as – the attendance for yesterday's game against the Vikings, and actually how many people were there for the game. Because it is preseason football. And I was talking to T.J. Reeves about the 61,177. I kind of find it hard to believe that 61,177 showed up. And the reason why I say that is that for these teams that are whether they're successful or not, they play in front of half-empty stadiums during the preseason. Each team gets two preseason home games. Well, some don't now because there's only three preseason games. But the NFL teams have kind of gouged you a little bit, and they make you pay the same price for a preseason ticket with your regular season tickets. And same price for the ticket. And I know that a lot of people frowned upon that. Now, Green Bay, they come, but a lot of the season ticket holders will sell the tickets, and people will go to that those preseason games because they can't go to a regular season game. So you get those type of fans. I get that. But the price isn't any cheaper. You're not getting a break, which is a shame um, because the season ticket holders control that inventory. But you are going to a preseason game, and you're not – seeing the players play for anything. I mean, this is sad to say, but we ripped the Pro Bowl when it was here in Vegas. 
because it's flag football. It's embarrassing. And we, and we said it. I said it. If you paid for a ticket for the Pro Bowl, you got ripped off. You're foolish to pay for that. I don't care if you say, hey, I'm going, take my kid, never been to the stadium. No. Go to a UNLV game. Go to Las Vegas Bowl. Go to a Raiders game. All right? You're going to spend the same amount of money at concessions at any of those games. And the Pro Bowl wasn't a cheap ticket either. Don't go to that. I hate to to tell people not to go to games like that, but you're not getting the true experience. And you're not getting the true experience of going to a preseason football game. It's not exciting. The play on the field is no good. You are seeing players that aren't going to be playing, for the most part, in the regular season. People go to that game, they see Jared, Jared Stidham start two games for the Raiders. I think Jared Stim's even going to see the field for the Raiders. The only way he even sees the field is if Derek Carr gets injured. And hopefully that doesn't happen. But even in a blowout situation, you're really probably not going to see Jared Stidham. I bet we will. I bet we will at some point. He will. He this will isn't a Marcus Mariota situation no. where, hey, we're going to go. And they had Marcus Mariota and a different coaching staff, okay? But you're paying Marcus Mariota a lot of money and he's talented, and at least change a pace, throw him in there. And we're sitting there saying, we see Marcus Mariota come on the field for one play out of every three or four games. Yeah. So it, it doesn't work that way anymore in the NFL. Even if a guy is struggling, if Carr throws four interceptions, he's not coming out for a Jared Stidham. Not going to happen. Now maybe because Josh McDaniels knows Stidham because they were together, and likes him, and he's and he's groomed him, so he feels, okay, this guy's got a pretty good grasp of our offense. Probably better grasp than Carr right now. But once the regular season starts, forget it. No, I'm betting Carr will get like a stinger or something, and then he's forced to come in. He's going to have, yeah. you know, something, That's something different. will I happen. I said that. It's different if he's injured. That's different. Yeah. You know, but to come in and, you know, even the Raiders are up, 17 or 21 fourth quarter well maybe final series but not meaningful yeah you just don't see last that anymore. two minutes probably yeah i mean even if there's six minutes to go starters car still on the field yeah so raiders win 26 20 yesterday car did not play darren waller was at the aces game good for him by the way appreciate that uh Devonte adams did not play josh jacobs who played in the opener in, in canton did not play yesterday. Hunter Renfro did not play. So fans going to the game figured, okay, those guys didn't play in Canton. I figure they're going to play a series or two. We talked about it on the show last week. Thought that they'd play a series, series or two. If Carr's not playing now, he might not play at all during the course of the regular season. And, and listening to what some of the quotes are around there, we might not see him. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't help matters. When he comes out and Rodgers' quote was, and I'm paraphrasing here, it doesn't do a bit of good for a quarterback in today's NFL to go out and even play one series of preseason football. He's not doing it. Stafford's not doing it last year. I mean, Mahomes, he, he plays a little bit. But we talked about this. Where do you stand on this? Doesn't Carr need some reps? In a new system, especially what the fifth system he's been in as a player. So wait, we get five games, right? 
Because of the Canton. Then they're four preseason. No, no, because preseason is only down to three now. Okay. So I will say game three, he will get a so he gets He gets four. Yeah. I bet I bet you in game three, he will get a, se- or well, get, that's get this, a series. This, that's this week. Yeah. You would, you would think so. You really would think so. But look, look at the way coaches are coaching right now. And they're being so protective. And I'm telling you, and we see it every year. That 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 players that do not play at all zero during the preseason they struggle week one they do it rarely do you see a quarterback come out here and play well and don't look rusty we saw it with Rodgers last year Jared Stidham started the game ten of fifteen sixty eight yards rushed. Four times for 16 yards and rush for a touchdown. Nick Mullins, remember him with the 49ers, get thrown into spot start duties a lot. He started the second half. Mullins looked good, 7 for 9, 94 yards and one TD. The Raiders rushed for 140 yards, passed for 160, had 300 total yards, 23 first downs, and they were 8 for 17 at third down. So good little run for the Raiders yesterday, doing it with all backups, with 75% of those players that played the majority of the game yesterday will not even be on the roster. It's crazy, but it's true. Here's Josh McDaniels, and he was talking about the game yesterday. Obviously, people want to talk about the quarterbacks, and we like to talk about the offensive line because, as we know, the offensive line is a big question mark for the Raiders. Secondary in the defense, the O-line for the offense. Here's Josh McDaniels uh, talking about what he saw with the O-line yesterday. Other than I think we have some depth at tackle, you know, and and some competition. Um, you know, we've told them since the first day we got here that this was going to be a, a situation where, you know, guys earn their opportunities and they'll determine their role. So uh, we felt like there's been a lot of healthy competition practice. Um, and, you know, last week we started a certain group uh, against uh, Jacksonville and uh, we felt like practice this week, um, you know, pushed that competition even further and wanted to go ahead and give a few other opportunities today. Uh, and I thought we did that, uh, you know, move some guys in and out inside, started there on the right side again for a young guy he's really um you know he's he's done a nice job for himself uh and earned the opportunity that he had today so again we'll see what the film shows us and tells us but uh, i think it was there was there was some good things to see from all those tackles you know like i said there's there's different reasons for what we did um and we have more time still you know we don't play another game for or we don't play a, a regular season game for a while so um i think we we allow these opportunities um you know, to be determined by what we see and how they perform in practice. And so, um, you know, each there's some guys that maybe didn't start tonight for one reason or another that will be starting on opening day, you know, at some point, you know. But the competition is real. Uh, it's ongoing. And uh, I think it's the healthiest thing we have going for us in the locker room because it makes everyone better. And when they, you know, when they know they come to work and there's something to be said about each day's work that they put in, uh, that makes it more important. And so they come in with a great attitude and a great approach, and I think it's made our team better. Josh McDaniel talking about the offensive line. Overall, pretty pleased with what he saw. Then we talk about the defensive side of the ball. What were his thoughts about the D-line And the secondary yesterday, we talked about the Raiders, the offensive stats they put up. Vikings, 
Didn't put up much offensively at all. Maybe credit the Raiders' defense yesterday. Here's his thoughts on the D. You know, we, we played a little soft and lateral in the second quarter uh, in the running game. Um, and, again, that's a different type of a scheme that, you know, we're going to see plenty of those teams that do that. But, you know, the stretch and cut type running game, we were, we were running laterally a little bit more than knocking them backwards. And, um, you know, we're going to have to fix some of those things that we saw in the running game show up. Um, I thought our guys uh, competed in the secondary. You know, we held them one for seven on third down. Uh, we were, you know, we played some tight coverage on third down, and um, you know, there were some close plays down the field. But all in all, um, you know, we held them under 300 yards, whatever it was. Um, you know, there's some things to fix, but again, I think they competed hard. All right, Josh McDaniels on the defense yesterday. All right, the quarterback play we talked about: Jared Stidham getting the start. Completed 10 of 15 passes. A lot of the dink and dunk uh, variety you know, from him, only 68 yards. Again, he ran a couple plays yesterday, a couple design runs, also scrambled a little bit yesterday as well. Here's Josh McDaniel talking about the overall quarterback play. Yeah, I thought uh, I, I thought all the quarterbacks did well. I really did. Um, you know, Jarrett led a couple scoring drives, and then Nick came in and did the same thing, and then Chase moved the team a little bit there at the end. Um, you know, I, I think Jarrett has you know really grown you know over time. Um, you know, and and one of the things that keeps showing up that I'm really happy about is that there's no turnovers. You know, and and before we can win, we have to learn how to not lose. And you know, all the quarterbacks went in there and generally took care of the ball, uh, made good decisions. Sometimes the best decisions are the ones uh, that nobody can tell on you know in the stadium right away that it was a good choice. But you know, throwing the ball away or sometimes taking a sack. You know. And um, I thought both of those guys did a good job of moving us, scoring points, and uh, finishing some drives and and taking care of the ball at the same time. All right. Talking about the quarterbacks there with Jared Stidham and uh, Nick Mullins. So the Raiders got two more exhibition games left. But yesterday was the first game at Allegiant Stadium and first game coaching for Josh McDaniel. Here's McDaniel talking about his thoughts and what he thought of the crowd and what he thought of the atmosphere at Allegiant. You know, I I don't I've I've been a, around a lot of preseason games over 22 years, and I don't remember one feeling like this. Um, I would just say that the reception from our fans, um, getting to know Raider Nation the way that you see them now, uh, it's just different. Um, you know, I've competed against them a handful of times in, in my time in the NFL, but now to kind of be on the same side, uh, you understand why it is what it is. And uh, I'm lucky and blessed to be the head coach here. Um, that is that is the, the best um, atmosphere in a preseason game that I've ever been a part of. Uh, And that's easy to say that, clearly. Um, So I can't wait to play another time in here and then get to the regular season and have the opportunity to do it for real in the the regular games. But, um, you know, what a just what a great, passionate fan base they have. And, um, you know, to have the girls here and my son on the sideline, um, you know, it's a special day. We figure the Raiders are going to be better this year just from the individual pieces that they've added in the offseason, specifically Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, defensive side of the ball, and the growing, the maturity, not just the maturity, but just the growth in general of guys like Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs. And the running game, they've got a pretty stacked backfield right now. 
Kenyon Drake has looked good coming back, you know, from his foot surgery that he has. Amir Abdullah, a veteran, you know, came over, you know, from the Lions, been in a couple teams now. But the offensive line is still at question mark. And the defensive secondary is going to be a question mark. Can the defensive line get pressure on opposing quarterbacks? But I think at some point in time, you're going to need to see these guys on the field in game-type situations. Sure, it's great to have these guys in practice, and they're on the same page. But you're running against your own unit. All right, And I know a lot of teams are proponents of bringing teams in and scrimmaging them, and they think that's more valuable than a regular preseason game. I'm not seeing that. Because when you get in a regular preseason game, defenses are hitting. It's not like the Pro Bowl. It's not two-hand touch. They're not taking it easy. There are guys out there that are trying to make the team. Okay, They are, for the most part, second stringers, third stringers. But you've got to get in some real live-time action. And to go into that opening game for Derek Carr and Devontae Adams to just basically be playing catch or going against your own defense, it's not enough. You know, and, and again, this is the new world or new school mentality that is out there. And once somebody does it or somebody says it, like a head coach or a GM, then it's just acceptable all the way through. But mark my words, we go back, we go to if if this continues where you're not seeing these high profile star players not play one snap before the regular season opener when live bullets are coming at you. You know, that second Sunday in September. There are going to be some issues. And how many times have we seen injuries come up with these guys as well, too? Because they're not playing at full speed. They're not playing live game situations. Remember, every session that you're dealing with, even when you bring in an opposing team, the, the quarterbacks are protected. They're protected. They're not being hit. So for Derek Carr not to be able to to be hit or take a hit, what do you think is going to happen that first time he drops back? Here comes a blitz. They're coming after him. Got no mercy there. I got to take it easy. Now you need some reps. And like I said, this is this is new school stuff. This never used to happen. Never talk about it. And there's something to be said for that. So. New coach, new system, several new teammates here. You 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 would like to see, get a, a glimpse of your team in real game time action, and you can't be fearful of getting hurt. Because as we know, you can get hurt. Regular season game, preseason game, practice, outside of practice, we can see it. Heck, you might get ringworm. <laughs> There's no drum. I get no drum roll. I get nothing for that. That was good. What are you falling asleep at the wheel again? I don't know. Oh, I get a bell instead. There you go. Ringworm. I meant to ask Chris Basio about Fernando Tatis Jr. as well, too. Oh, man. Ringworm. There's no ringworm for him. None whatsoever. 80 game suspension. And people are asking, they're going, so how's that going to affect him contract wise? I'll tell you, 
He's, he's not going to get affected at all. He's going to lose some money. But his big paydays aren't coming until down the road. Fernando Tatis Jr. is signed. Now get this. Don't fall over when I say this. He's signed through 2034. All right? He's not going to make his money until like 2028, 2029. He'll be making $30 million a season, $36 million a season at that point in time. Fungus from a haircut led to the positive PED test. That's not like breaking news. <laughs> Who's this coming from? A doctor? His pops. Exactly. That's what I was going to set it up. Exactly. I was like, is this coming from a doctor? No. Where's Dr. Christina Madison? Where do we need her? Does he have COVID? No. F- Fernando Tatis Jr.'s father says his son's positive PED test all happened because of a haircut that went wrong. He explained the situation to MLB Media, saying the Padres outfielder got a chop recently. He developed a fungus on his skin. So Tati Sr. said that his son turned to medication to fix the issue. One of the ingredients in the remedy just so happened to trigger a positive test. Those results eventually led to a 80-game suspension. Now, if that was truly the case, don't you think Major League Baseball would do some hard nose investigating, said, okay, you know, you don't deserve 80 games for that. But no, they gave him 80 games because when they asked him about what happened, he gave this line of bull. They want you to be forthcoming and be truthful. And this is what's wrong with Major League Baseball because when this kind of garbage happens and it happens to a star, it makes it worse. And a guy who's making a boatload of money, what's the first thing it makes you think about? Mark McGuire, Barry Ponds, Sammy Sosa. It does, doesn't it? Brady Anderson and his 50 homers. It taints the game. It does. But why don't you just chalk it up to this? It's Fernando Tatis being a knucklehead, being a ham and egger. That's what it is. Tatis, if he just would have said what truly happened. And he's saying he got ringworm. All right? Let me tell you something about ringworm. Okay? And this is coming from doctors and trainers. All right? Here's the deal with that. Do you know how you prevent, or not prevent, do you know how you treat ringworm? You know? You get Motrin, all right? And you get other over-the-counter stuff, amoxicillin, stuff like that. That's how you treat it. You get stuff that you can get over-the-counter. And here's the thing. He's been rehabbing with the Padres training staff for his wrist injury. He's taking medication. If you think that you have something, that you picked up something, and say it's on the outside, all right? First thing I would do, hey, my trainer, who I'm close to, who I see basically on a daily basis because he's rehabbing with the Padres. Now, if you take a trip to Mexico or somewhere like there, the Dominican, during the uh, course of the All-Star break, You're still coming back because the team that's paying you wants to monitor you 
And you're doing your rehab, not in the DR, but under the DR as the doctor and the trainer of your own team. So for him to go outside counsel or say outside counsel, I'm going to do, okay, maybe it's likely, but why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want to keep everything in house? Oh, you do that if you're a professional, which he isn't. He's not a pro. He's 23 and stupid and making a boatload of money. He's more concerned about bat flips and everything else. Now, Tatis' mom chimed in, too, posted a picture on her Instagram page showing their son had ringworm, a picture of his neck. How about this? Fernando, I'm going to take care of this for you. Here, post for the picture right now. Let me take a picture. I'm going to post it on, on my Instagram. And there's Fernando posing for a picture, and we're seeing a little red mark on the left side of his neck. Have you seen that? Yeah. That's going to trigger a couple bumps. It looked like a couple mosquitoes came in and maybe the taco shop there in Ensenada or San Diego or Coronado. That's it. Ringworm. You don't need to take something that's banned by Major League Baseball to treat ringworm. Go to a real doctor. Go to your trainer. But more importantly, again, he's already on the IL. You're seeing the Padres trainer. Everything you do should be prescribed by your team. Especially knowing you're going to be in the playoffs. Knowing that you are so close to coming back. Because Barry's taking batting practice. He's he's going to come back in a week or two. That's why this story is so preposterous and insane. Fernando Tatis Jr., 80 games. And the Padres, man, give it to him. Say it. He's immature. We don't buy it. We don't like it. And he's sticking it to his team. So back to the ramifications of money. You know what this is going to cost him the next 80 games? It's going to cost him about $3 million. I say only $3 million because he's got a contract for 340 Because most of that. He's not going to get paid. Will not get a paycheck. All right? But he's fine. After the 80 games, beginning part of next year, that money's going to start rolling in. I think he's scheduled to make $6.75 million next year. Then things start escalating after that. He's not going to take that much of a hit at all. Yeah, $3 million. 50 games this year, 30 games next year. Padres still owe him $337 million. <laughs> if you're keeping score, though. Pay that man his money. Don't pay him his money. He's a ham and egger. Unbelievable. All right, we come back. You're going to hear from the Las Vegas Aces president, Nikki Vargas, talking about the Aces on court, off court, the community. And we visit with Nikki in her second year on the job. Great person. And again, a longtime college basketball coach. She gets it. And this is new for her, you know, the executive side. So uh, great stuff. Always love talking to Nikki Vargas, the president of the Las Vegas Aces. We're hitting that next. Now. Back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. Welcome back. Join me now, the Las Vegas Aces president in her second season, the one and only Nikki Vargas. Nikki, how you doing? I'm doing great. Year two on the job, first time really of being an executive. Take us through your journey and the progression from year one to where we are right now. 
Well, the progression um, was was really fast um, because when you leave college athletics and you're coming to the WBA, um, you're trying to figure out um, what what things are consistent with what I've learned over 24 years and, and then how do you implement that into a WBA franchise and there were so many things that um, were consistent that over that overlapped each other from building a team um, obviously as a basketball coach I had to build a team um, I understood teamwork um, family unity the core of what the culture should be so creating that culture here in the front office um, obviously with having a, an experienced and a seasoned head coach like Bill Lambeer I really didn't have to um, really worry about the basketball off side of it um, but building the culture really started with the people um, we were we were very short staffed due to COVID, and then obviously when your building is 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 um, being restricted with attendance, and um, and not really being able to be out in the community, um, you know Mark Davis had the had the um, the vision to make sure that the season ticket members were able to be in the building and thanking them for their loyalty and their commitment. So we were only servicing about 2,000 fans um, a game. Um, now we're servicing, you know, almost triple that. Um, but we, we had to build out a staff, and, and that was that was so important for us to take our time in doing so. And and uh, and, and I think we've done a great job of, of doing that with the hiring of Natalie Williams as our general manager, obviously Becky Hamming transitioning in as our new head coach, uh, Matt Delson, um, he, he's our COO, and he's been a, a tremendous asset to this franchise. And we added Jennifer Azy, Chief of Business Development, and on and on, Marketing, VP of Sports or, or Corporate Partnerships. So it, it's almost like you build it and they will come. Um, that, that's been the mentality. This year, we have been very um, diligent in making sure that we were in the community. Mm -hmm. um, that was very important um, to, to this franchise and to Mark Davis that we have a presence. And so to be able to do the ACES Care Tour where we went around northern Las Vegas, um, Summerlin and Henderson, and brought players into the communities and, and into the schools. Um, I, I, I thought we did a phenomenal job. You hit on a lot of points there. And for those of us that have been here since the inception, going back to 2017, 2018, it is a sharp contrast in just the development of this organization from where it is now. And your hire, in my opinion, kind of paved the way for a lot of the other quality women that you just mentioned, from Natalie Williams to Jennifer Az, and of course, Becky Hammond, just to name a few. But what does that say about Mark Davis? It says a lot about Mark Davis. It says a lot about his commitment, and more importantly, his he values um, women and women in sports, and also women in leadership roles. I mean, look what he just pointed Sandra as the president of the the Raiders. Um, that those those things are historical. Those things are 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 also um, much needed, and he recognizes that she and just she is the best candidate. Um, she is the best candidate for that role for the Raiders. And he allows, what he does is he allows you to really put your stamp because he trusts you. He trusts, you know, the, the years and the commitment that myself and so many of us have developed by not only coaching the game, but playing the game, watching the game, um, crying about the game, fighting for the game. Um, so our passion comes through. And then it helps that, you know, we're competitive. 
um, when you have <laughs> Olympians on your roster and then they transition into the front office, right. they're going to still be just as competitive. <laughs> um, so so I, I, I love the fact that Mark believes in what we're trying to do here. You know, as Pat Summit would always talk about and preach, you win with people. And, and this is a family-oriented um, franchise, uh, obviously, with Mark Davis and his, you know, and the late Al Davis, they, that represents family. And, and that's what we're doing here also as the ACES organization. Nikki Vargas joins us. And uh, let's take it back to you for a minute. You come from a very long athletic background, actually, in your family as well, too. Mike Caldwell, I know, was your uncle, mm-hmm. who was a player for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Yeah. What kind of kid were you growing up? Um, you, you know, I was a tomboy. I was definitely out there with the with the guys, pushing myself to have my name called. I talk about this a lot. When you're growing up in a small town like Oak Ridge, Tennessee, about 23,000 people, one high school, everybody knows everyone. Um, I just remember playing um, at Linden Elementary School, and we would go up there, and, and, and it was, it was, back then it was chain nets. And so the, the neighborhood kids would be playing and, you know, they would pick their first 10 and I wouldn't get picked. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I'm better than half of these guys. But I would sit over, I would go over to the other goal and just shoot and work my ball handling and work moves until the day I became the one picking. Um, so, so just being around my uncle, um, he was definitely someone I looked up to. Um, he was someone who was very um, versatile. He played basketball, baseball, and football in um, high school, and he also did it at Middle Tennessee State University. So when he was drafted to the Cleveland Browns in 19, I think, 92, we all felt like we were drafted. Um, And then now he's the defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously have a distinct background of coaching and playing, played for Pat Summit at the University of Tennessee. You can only imagine what that would be like. How much of a recruiting job did you have to do to get Becky Hammond here? <laughs> I pulled out all the, the, the bells and whistles. We wanted to get her here for the <laughs> alumni initiative. We wanted to make sure that she knew how important she was to the WNBA and where, where the, as far as the direction of the league. She was going to be the person that could let everyone know, and that's our corporate partners, that's media partners, that this game is a unbelievable game being played by unbelievable women, and they deserve to be compensated as so. And so Mark Davis was very intentional on showing the, the worth of a coach and, and the value of having a Becky Hammond and that to be able to have Becky Hammond um, be the million dollar woman, it definitely will elevate the investment that you, um, that you attribute to women coaches and hopefully it trickles down into every aspect of the W. I think Becky Hammond is one of those just special people. When you first get a chance to sit down and talk to her, you, you you see it. it. It just she has that it factor. Right. Um, you know she was the one that was not drafted and had to. You know, there's a slogan earned, never given. She definitely earned her stripes. Um, but when she came here with her family, her beautiful family, and then we were able to put her jersey in the rafters. And so through the process, we I gave her her space. 
she went silent on me for like a few weeks. And, you know, I just thought she's in her season. I'm respectful of that. I was able to continue to have conversations with the agency that was representing her, but not with Becky in particular. And I think through all of this, it was it was so um, helpful that when Bill and I were discussing, you know, who would be the next head coach here, and I said to him, I, I, I've got my short list, he had his short list, and we talked about Becky Hammond. He goes, you think you can get her? I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dang on try to. <laughs> and, and so every step of the way as the process was progressing with Becky, Bill and I would have constant communication um, and, and, and to have such a great ambassador in a Bill Lambeer who supports women, who supports this league, and then who recognizes that Becky Hammond will take this, and we all did, um, myself, Bill, Mark, Larry, we all recognized that Becky Hammond could usher us into a new era. Um, we want to create a, 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 we want to win championships here, obviously, but we want to create a, a dynasty here. And it takes a coach and her coaching staff and players to make that happen, but it also starts with Mark Davis. As we approach the playoffs, give us your thoughts on what you see with this team, where they're at right now, and also evaluate Becky's job. I see this team adjusting to a new system. They've adjusted to a new head coach. They've adjusted to injuries. They've adjusted, they're adjusting to, to, to scheduling conflicts, travel, game changes. I mean, we just adjust. And they have handled it in such a professional manner that has allowed us to be where we are today. The team is right now playing like one of the best basketball teams um, in this league. There were times where I know we went against <laughs> Becky and, and her coaching staff scouting report. You could see it having, you know, having sat in on some practices and shoot arounds. And I, and I said, we started making stuff up. I think the, this is the time this group has now really, they're trusting each other. They're trusting to make the right play. There, there's a buy-in there to what Becky had been trying to create for you know the, since she first got here. Um, I think to me the X factor, um, you know, you've got a MVP in Asia Wilson, no question. She is the most dominant, most valuable player in every aspect of the game. Um, efficiency for 40 minutes, number one. Um, where she is in rebounding, scoring, defensive player of the year, potentially. Um, her ability to come over and alter the play action of a really good um, post player, to me, that stat isn't necessarily um, kept, but you can see that when Asia comes, that ball is moved out. And then she's had to transition from with, with, the, with the, the, the loss of Liz and not having Liz as our five, she had to come in and, 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 and guard the five for us. She had to play the five and play the five in Becky's system, so to speak. So Asia Wilson has been just a dominant force. I think what we really are seeing this team, you're seeing Chelsea Gray be the Chelsea Gray, um, the point god, if you will. <laughs> um, her ability 
to see the floor is pretty amazing. And then the timing of her passes, and th those are things that, those are just God-given talents. No one taught her that. It's just something that she's earned. Um, and then Jackie Young, you know, Jackie Young, beginning of the season, she was putting up MVP numbers. And then the injury happened with the ankle, and then now you can see Jackie getting back to Jackie. But I'll tell you, the X factor has been Kelsey Plum. Mm -hmm. I really feel like Plum, she can get a shot anytime she wants it. And she'll shoot it a lot. Yeah. But I think she's such an incredible player when she's making others around her better. That, to me, is greatness. And she exudes that in every aspect of how she approaches the game, how she approaches um, training, how she approaches n the nutritional aspect of it mentally. But she's giving us a whole nother layer because you just can't bank on her trying to take you one-on-one. -on -one. you got to be aware that she's also now looking to set up her teammates and she's making them shine. That, to me, has been a huge um, uptick of why we're playing at such a, a high level of basketball right now. Final thing for you, as we, like we said, approach the playoffs here, hopefully good crowds come to the yes. Michelob Ultra Arena. What is something short-term and long-term that's on your list or points of emphasis? Well, for the season, I mean, we, you know, we would love to build a base where we have, you know, over 5,000 season ticket members. Um, with the pricing of this building, with we want it to be family-friendly. Um, we, we, we've created such a fun environment um, in the arena. It's exciting. Uh, Three Point has done an amazing job of, of, of all the things that engage the fans. Um, we're trying to be very creative and innovative in how, you know, when we won the Commissioner's Cup, we wanted the Commissioner's Cup um, in the front lobby, not only displayed, but we wanted fans to be able to see it, touch it, take photos with it because they're part of this journey. And, I, and that, so my big thing is to make sure that we um, not only embrace what we're doing on this basketball court, but also how do we embrace this community. You can see that there's more um, people who know that there is a WNBA team here in the city of Las Vegas. That's where we gotta get. We've gotta become, and these players, they're gonna become household names. They're going to be the ones that my daughter and, 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 and our grandchildren are going to, you know, recognize. And why not? Because they're just as talented, they're just as competitive and skilled as any other male counterpart. So they deserve this um, recognition. The, the feedback that we get a lot when there's a first-time attendee to a Las Vegas Aces game, they are absolutely blown away and then we become their team. And then they're now telling their friends and family members, and they're bringing them on. So it's almost like we're creating this lifeline throughout the first person that comes. Let's, let's now tell everybody else about the Aces. And we're just, we're just making sure that those who support us, we're gonna put the best show in Las Vegas, if you will, um, on for you. Nikki, you've done a fantastic job since you've been here, built a great staff, uh, continued success to you. Love your passion, love your vision. Can't wait for the playoffs. Well, hey, we can't wait either. I know this is such a tough um, league to play in and to be in the position that we are in today. Mm -hmm. That's Whatever just a testimony to Becky Hammond and her staff. Right. Appreciate the time, Nikki. Thank you. <laughs> Nikki Vargas, president of the Las Vegas Aces Fantastic woman, and uh, Mark Davis has empowered her to run this franchise. 
great vision of not only the basketball side, but the business side as well, too. Fan Appreciation Day yesterday at the Michelob Ultra Arena afterwards. Did a fantastic job uh, with that. Very, very nice. All right. Ace has got the number one seed. The playoffs are here, and it all starts Wednesday night at the Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena, taking on the Phoenix Mercury. Probably minus Diane Tarazi. Probably minus Skylar Diggins-Smith, who's their leading scorer, average of 20 points per game. Uh, we'll see. It's a playoffs, right? And according to the Phoenix Mercury, they've been, they got their scout on, even though the Aces defeated the Mercury three times this year. So, looking forward to it. Playing for keeps now, huh? All that battle of 36 games where the Aces went 26-10, and 10, and now you get the postseason. Don't want to mess up now. Derek Hamby, the injury update with her. She's going to be out another two to three weeks. So, hopefully she can be back for round number two, which would be the WNBA semifinals. And that would be against the winner of the Seattle Storm Washington Mystic Series. Man, that's going to be tough. And then we expect the Sky to advance and probably the Connecticut Sun. They're going to open up against the Dallas Wings. So, looking forward to it. Access.com, that's your tickets, AXS.com, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Game 1. Saturday, 6 p.m., Game 2, both at the Michelob Ultra and Mandalay Bay. Best two out of three for the opening round. I want to thank Chris Bazio for joining me today, talking a little Major League Baseball, giving you the latest on that. You got to hear from Josh McDaniels today, the Raiders' preseason opener, victorious over the Vikings. Be hearing from Josh McDaniel. Get audio from him after every Raider game on Mondays. Or if it's a Thursday game, it's Friday. You never know. All right. For a Monday game, that's Tuesday. Numchuck's just like shaking his head. Really? Got to do all that work? Yes, you do, my friend. That's it. Good stuff. And thanks to Nikki Vargas, the president of the Las Vegas Aces. Tomorrow, Heidi Fang's going to join us live from the Raider facility. What is that going to entail? Getting locked out? Hiding behind trees. Hiding behind trees. Who knows what? It's always an adventure with Heidi Fang. You never know where she's going to be, what's going to happen. There will be some food discussion, some music discussion, and Raiders discussion. you got to love it. All right, we got her joining us tomorrow and many, many more. We get ready for college football. Trevor Maddich, Marco D'Angelo will join us this week. Chuck Esposito, the list goes on and on. To the break it on. For Numbchuck, TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Check out the Aces recap from yesterday. Talk a little playoff preview with that. Plus all the interviews on the interview page, the current interviews, the classic interviews. It's all there for you at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. Enjoy some baseball tonight. Yeah. Enjoy that. We'll come back at you tomorrow right here at 2 o'clock. See ya.